Yes, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. God is indeed so good, and we are so privileged to be in this house tonight, uh, because I can tell you on another occasion um, some of the toing and froings that we had to get here. But nevertheless, we are here. All of the issues that we've had getting here is, to me, a testimony as to why we are here. And I will, 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 will get into that in a little bit. Um, let me introduce my wife, uh, who deserves to be off tonight, but she decided that she was going to come. She's been through a whole lot. I'm going to ask you to stand so they have a good look at you. All right. She keeps me in line. She gives me the eye, and she gives me, she tells me when to stop and all of that. And so, and usually that's before I get started. She says, stop. <laughs> I had the privilege of meeting Pastor Randy um, via um, uh, Zoom the other day, and we fell in love with each other instantly. We're kindred spirits, and so, sir, I want to thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to be here tonight. And I want to thank Cloverdale. You don't know that I know you, but I know you. And I want to really give you um, kudos and thanks for taking care of my children, for taking care of Jermaine and Nicole and uh, uh, Richard and Candace. Um, I don't see them tonight, but I'm sure we will. And and ja well, of course, Jazz. So, you know, Jazz is the man. And so thank you so much for opening your hearts, for opening your doors, and for allowing them to come in. And so by virtue of their presence, we have a privilege tonight to share with you. Thank you, Lord. Now, that's about the friendliest thing that I'm going to say uh, tonight. And, of course, my daughter, that is my last daughter, Kariel, stand-up Kariel. And... Uh, yeah. Cariel, Cariel is a uh, resident in uh, the Toronto area. Uh, she works as uh, an engineer in Musashi. And so if you have a Toyota or Ford or anything, you're probably driving on parts that she might have had something to do with designing. So we're privileged to have her with us tonight. My, I believe I have an assignment tonight, and I take assignments seriously. A couple of things you need to know. First of all, you need to know that I'm a teaching gift, which means that I expect you to come to class with your tools. If you don't have tools, you can't get the job done. That's number one. Number two, uh, some things may get a little uncomfortable because I believe my assignment tonight, and as I go through it, you, I, I believe the Spirit of the Lord will, will reveal it to you, uh, what you need to know. I've, I've come to push you a little bit further. Praise the Lord. Yeah. And that may not be comfortable, but it's, it's necessary if we're going to achieve some things in the, in, the, in the kingdom, in the spiritual realm. Is that all right? Yeah. All right, so let's begin. Let's, everybody, let's stand. Let's stand tonight. And uh, I just need you to lift your hands. Everybody, as high you can get it. And I want you to tell God something you haven't told him all, all day. Go ahead. Find something to tell him. Whatever it is. Your experience with him today. Whatever he's done. Whatever your expectation is. Thank you. 
Father, we bless you tonight because you alone are God. We decrease so that you can increase. Open the eyes of our understanding now and that which you would have us to know. Let that come forth. I pray for transformation tonight and that not one person will leave this place the way they came. In the name of Jesus, we give you praise and glory for it. Before you're seated, say these words with me. I am changing. I am being transformed by the renewing of my mind. The word of God is spirit and it's life to me. And I receive it in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Amen. I want to talk to you tonight and try to set the foundation for what we'll talk about in coming days. And I'm talking about restoring passion. Restoring passion. Years ago, uh, when Robert um, Kennedy was sworn in as President of the United States, he coined a phrase at his, that inaugural speech that is still being quoted today. And that statement is this. Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you could do for your country. Now, that may not mean a whole lot to you right now, but just stick a pin, and we're going to get there. But in today's context, the same theme resonates. As you turn on your TVs and you watch the news and you see what's going on in the Ukraine uh, with this, the war that is current, there are people, ordinary people, like you and I, who risk their lives every day because they refuse to give up their territory to a foreign country. The theme is still the same. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what can you do for your country? One thing that impressed me about that was there's this one gentleman that we saw in the, on the news who doesn't have any particular skill, no military training or whatever it is uh, like that. However, he has a vehicle and he could drive. And so his contribution is that I'm going to go into the danger zone after the bombs hit. He goes in after the bombs hit and dry, try to drag out whoever needs help and take them to safety. He's making a difference. And that is significant. The Bible speaks to us about living our lives in such a way that we design silos for ourselves, that we heap up wealth for ourselves only to discover that when it's all said and done and you pass away, you don't even know who's going to sleep in your bed. You don't know who's going to drive your car and you don't know who's going to move and take away your property. It's all, according to Solomon, vanity and vexation of spirit. There's another path to this. If you look at, let's, look, let's go to the scripture. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. And it says just what I just said. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where, you, where moth and rust can destroy, where thieves will break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor, nor dust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Normally we stop right there. But verse 21 says this. For where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. Can you say that with me? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's say that again. For your treasure is there. So one's treasure is connected to the heart. The gentleman from Ukraine, his treasure is his homeland. That's where his heart is connected. And so because his heart is connected to his homeland, he is prepared to give it up. He is prepared to give up his life for what is important in his heart. You got it? Yes? It's the same theme that Robert, Robert Kennedy spoke. Let's not ask about what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Uh, it is saying in a more secular fashion that what's important to you ought to be what we live out. The gospel of Jesus Christ is no different. One of the most hypocritical bunch of people are Christians. Because we tend to, we tend to, once we come into the kingdom, once we've been born again, once we've been washed in the blood of Christ, once we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, once we feel that we have a testimony, we sit down and we just live it out. That is not what the, what the gospel calls for. That is not what scriptures calls us to do. So when we reflect on this thing that where our treasure lies, our, what's important to us or our passion is reflected. So if, you went, if I went to your house, for example, I will probably be able to tell right away by your, your, your entryway, your front, what we call the front part of your house, your, your front room, what's important to you. I know uh, there's one lady I know who, who uh, does not have any children. Um, but she has at least, she has hundreds of baby dolls. Does that not paint a picture as to where her passion is? And it's the same thing with our lives. We just need to look at what we have been doing, the things that we have been doing. Oh, by the way, did I mention that some of us aren't doing anything? <laughs> that is a passion as well. Hmm. All right. All right, that went down well. Uh, so we can leave. We can we leave now? <laughs> All right. So the thing is, let's look at some scriptures in 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 uh, in, in some uh, scenarios in scripture. So more than ninety years after King Cyrus' de uh, decree um, concerning the return of Jerusalem, those there were a group of people who were supposed. Uh, who were commissioned, as it were, to go back and to construct, to reconstruct the city. Ninety years, nine zero, almost a hundred years, after that commissioning, the wall had not yet been built. After ninety years, the wall had not been built. So, why? Could it have been because of fear of the authorities? but there was a commission. Could it be because there, there might be, they might have been denied permission from those who, went, who were in office earlier? Could it have been that they may have misplaced their priorities for 90 years? Whatever the reason was, 
the wall did not get built. Fast forward to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1, looking at verses 4 through 11. I'll take the time to read this. And it says, as soon as I heard these words, this is Nehemiah speaking, you know the story, he's a cupbearer in the king's presence. He's not really uh, a person of, of uh, any worth because a cupbearer could die any moment. That's why he's a cupbearer, uh, to protect the life of the king. This is a cupbearer in the king's presence, a disposable being, as it were. And he says, as soon as I heard these words, that the walls had not been rebuilt, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. These are the words of a cupbearer. And I continued fasting and praying before the Lord of heaven. Verse 5. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I may pray before you day and night for the people, for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sin of the people of Israel. Hey, this is a cupbearer. This is not a priest. This is not a mayor. This is not a king. This is a cupbearer carrying a burden for a nation that was. Goes on. And he says, he goes ahead and confessed the sins for the people, even himself, even I and my father, have sinned. Verse 7. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your, commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the utmost parts of the heaven, from there I will gather them and I will bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants, Kaperah continues to speak. They are your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your air be attentive to the prayer of your servant, this cupbearer, and to the prayer of your servants whose delight, who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, i.e. the king. Now, this is, this is significant because the cupbearer is not um, supposed to speak to the king. The cupbearer is a silent, non-existent, wine-swallower, food-taster, not a conversator with the king. He is out of his league, he's out of his, out of his position to speak to the king. So, there are several lessons I want to, to look at. I'll try to do this as quickly as I can. I'm just laying a foundation. I, I, I just need you to see this. Several things that we can learn from this story. Number one, Nehemiah's distress. The word distress is used in, his, in the scripture. His distress regarding the state of his homeland. Say distress. distress. Say distress. distress. 
Say it with an attitude. Distress. Why would you be distressed about something that's not important to you? Here's a cup bearer. This guy has no position in Israel. No position in the diaspora other than he is connected to the king and he's there by the king's side. But he is in distress. The only thing in life that's going to cause you distress is if it is important to you. Those things that, are, that you are passionate about. Let's move on. The second thing that we notice about this is that he has a drive to prayer and fasting. How curious. The whole nation has been destroyed. He is seated next to the seat of power. And so it would seem, from from the natural point of view, for him to go and pursue earthly power in order to fix his natural problem than to go to prayer and fasting. I would suggest to you that just as passionate as he was about the destruction of his homeland, he was similarly passionate about prayer and fasting. And there's a reason for that. If you want to empty your church, have a prayer meeting. (laughs) That's the easiest way to shut down your your, your, your church. Have five days of prayer meeting. I challenge you. But Nehemiah understood the power that was connected to prayer. What did I say? The power. I want you to understand what power is. You can see me uh, because there is power in this building. Power is not static. Power is just not existing. Electricity may be in those walls, but you don't see it until somebody flips a switch. And there's a point in time when power has to show itself off. That's why I'm here. (laughs) My job is to help us to understand that there is something on the inside of us, something on the inside of you that you never knew before, that God has gifted you with, that he has planted on the inside of you from the foundation of the earth, even before you existed. He had designed you for a particular purpose. That purpose, that passion, is what ought to fuel you from this day forward. See, because we cannot, we cannot as a people, bring honor and glory to God unless... We are functioning in the design that he has actually uh, etched out for us. But I'm a little ahead of myself. That's, that's, that's tomorrow. <laughs> Nehemiah, 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 remember now, first of all, he was in distress. Secondly, he was driven to prayer and fasting. Oh, by the way, did I mention to you in the scripture that he prayed for how long? Anybody remember how long he prayed for? All right, that's your homework. Look it up. It was not a prayer meeting. It was not a four-day prayer meeting. But look it up. Look it up in the the passage that that I read. And you would see that he was driven to prayer because of passion. You will only pray and fast for that length of time 
if you are really in distress. All right. So uh, uh, chapter 2, we're in verse 4 and 5, and it says, Then the king said to me, what are, what, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the Lord again. Nehemiah comes in the presence of the king. He's not supposed to have a forlorn appearance. He's supposed to be up at all times. But he comes in the presence of the king. The king senses something is wrong with Maya today. He said, Maya, what, what, what's happening? What, 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 you're, not your, you're not yourself. Nehemiah tells him what his distress was all about. He had the nerve to tell the king. The place that you people destroyed, that's what's bothering me. Can you imagine that? So he has this conversation with the king out of, a, out of a, 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 some deep feeling. And the king said to me, well, to, to him, in, uh, he said, the long and short of it is this. What is it that you need? What is it you need me to do? Okay, that, let, let that enters, brings me to my next point. That passion, Nehemiah's passioned, passion opened a door. First of all, he was in distress. Second of all, he um, had this desire to pray and to go outside of himself and access some power that he could not ordinarily do himself. And because of his passion, a door was opened. The Bible puts it this way, that your gift will bring you before kings. It's not what you know, not necessarily who you know. But it is your gifting that's going, to bring, that's going to bring you before kings. And so the thing about God is that God does not have a vested interest in hiding his will from us. He does not have, he's not interested in hiding his design from us. Because think about it logically. We cannot please God unless we know what his will is. Because if we're doing anything other than his will, then we are, by all intents and purposes, working against the will of God. If we're not doing what God says, we are disobeying God. If we're not doing what God says, we're disobeying God. That's a very dangerous uh, point of view. But let's hold on to that. Let's go to the next point. The fourth thing that we see from this passage of Scripture is that Nehemiah was activated by his passion. The king says, what do you want? The natural in, uh, inclination is, if your governor or your mayor, I don't know how you're, of your province or however that's set up, you have a conversation with him and he said, what do you want? You say, well, here's what I, I'm looking at. There's a piece of land. I've got this business. I need this grant and so on. That's what we're going to do. How many people will approach it like that? Let me see your hands. Okay, tell me what you're going to do. You didn't raise your hands. What else were you going to do? I can tell you what you will not do. You will not tell the mayor, let me pray about it, and I'll get back to you. And there's a reason for that, because you don't have the opportunity every day to speak to the mayor. That's not what Nehemiah did. The king said to Nehemiah, what is it you need? What is it you want? Nehemiah said, well, let me talk to my God about it first. All right? All right. Let's, let's, let's um, 
Where am I now? Anyway, that was number, number four. He was activated by his, by his passion. Okay, let me leave that. You all can read that. Number five. As a result of his passion, he encountered rebellion. He encountered opposition. You will encounter opposition simply because you are doing what is right. There are people who will dislike you simply because you are you. There are people who will dislike you because you are doing something that they wish they were doing and didn't have the goal or the gumption, we would say in the Bahamas, or the initiative to go ahead and do it. More so, you'll find that people will actually not just dislike you, but they will oppose you because they'd rather have their name on it than yours. Now, if, you've, if, if you're older than two weeks, you understand that that is a principle in life. That there are people who are assigned to keep you down. There are people who are assigned to keep you in bondage. Uh, they, come like, they come like angels from hell. And they latch themselves onto you. They tell you what you can think. They tell you what you can do. They tell you what you can't do. They tell you where you can go and where you cannot go. There are people who are assigned to the fact that they are owners of you. Nehemiah encountered opposition and rebellion to his call. What is interesting about this is that a very simple, simple point that we got to understand that when we receive a call, we receive a call from God, not man. So if we take that to the nth degree, whatever God calls for is what will be done because no human being, no organization, no instrument of hell can prevent, prevent uh, God's purpose from coming to fall, to fall. Now, let me say this other thing so we get this out of the way. Because God wills it does not mean it's automatic. No. God's will is not automatic. Because it is not his will that any should perish. But a lot of people are going to perish. Not because it isn't the will of God, but it's because God has given uh, a choice uh, to man to make some decisions. Okay? So, he encountered some, uh, some, some um, uh, uh, opposition and rebellion. The sixth thing I want to tell you about this is, there is a cost to rebellion. Whenever we, re we rebel against what God calls for, there is a price you pay for it. The most glaring example in this story was the whole bit of uh, Sanballat and Tobiah actually uh, taking up arms and mobilizing political movements and signing documents and uh, waging war against Nehemiah. And there are people in your life, some of them are family members, yeah. who, who stand in the way. But look at what the price. Here's the price of rebellion. And I don't want you to miss this. Verse 20 of chapter 2. Nehemiah says, Then Nehemiah said, I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, i.e. those who do his will, those who follow the call, and we his servants will arise and we will build. But you, the rebellious ones, you, 
the opposers. You the obstacle. You're the troublemaker in the church. You, you're the one who's always negative. You, you, we're talking to you. You will have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. So when we, when we disobey God, we actually oppose the work of God. And when we do that, we actually disinherit ourselves. Wow. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And even speak in tongues. I mean, we do all of this. But we're out of the will of God, so we actually disinherit ourselves. All right. Number seven, God brought, out of all of this, God brought promotion for Nehemiah. This man went through a scenario where they had to work all night, all day, spares and, uh, in one hand and shovels in another hand. Why? Because of the fierceness of the enemy and because of the urgency and because of the passion to build. And in the final analysis, God raised this. Remember who Nehemiah was? He was a cupbearer. Remember that? Nehemiah became the governor. Read your Bible. He became, he was promoted to governor, had several provinces under him. And so great was his wealth. The Bible tells us that in the final analysis, he, Nehemiah was so into and so passionate about the work that he never actually took a salary. But what he did was instead of retreating and sitting in the king's palace and the governor's mansion and eating up all the food, he would gather all of his men, 150 of them around him, and they would eat together. I just came to tell you that if there is passion in your life, you're going to have opposition, but you're also going to get promotion. So then... There's a foundation. What does all of this mean? Where are we going with this? Just as the Spirit of the Lord moved in Nehemiah's life to move him to action, the same Spirit of God prevails today, urging us to be activated in the things of God. Nehemiah's call and Nehemiah's passion was connected to rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. God calls you and he calls me today to build the kingdom of God in today's context. If we disobey that call, we are in rebellion to, God's, to, to what God has called for. As the people of God. So I simply came to tell you that, look, lip service to this thing that we call Christianity is our worst enemy. Amen. The reason why you came to Christ in the first place is that at some point in time, you realize that there was nothing better in the world than serving Christ. The Bible will tell you. I mean, I mean, it's reinforced. I don't have to sell that to you. That only what's done for Christ is going to last. But think of it. We spend all of our years, spend all of our days heaping up wealth to ourselves. Building our houses, building our businesses, growing up children, doing this and doing that. Oh, oh, Pastor, I can't come tonight because, you know, oh, Pastor, I wish I could be. Oh, Pastor, I wish I could be. Really? And we declare that we're children of God. We declare 
that we are part of God's kingdom. And I came to ask you a question, how so? If we're not passionate, can we talk about marriage for a second? I'm looking at these two here. How, y'all, how long y'all been married? Two years. Oh. <laughs> Pastor Randy, how long have you been married? Uh, 44 years. Can you all look at this, this couple? Just look at them. And now look at that couple. <laughs> what did you see? All I'm trying to tell you is that when we first come to Christ, that's what we do right there. And after we've been at this a little while, and I'm speaking from not Pastor Randy's experience, I'm speaking from my own experience. My wife has to say to me, you're not romantic. I bet she doesn't have to tell him that. You don't have to tell him that, eh? Maybe in year four or five, but... So I'm just saying, I'm just, the, the point is this, that if we're, going to be, if we're going to be all in, if we're going to be all in for the kingdom of God, if there's nothing better than serving Christ, why are we not passionate about it? Right. How many of you bought a car? All right. Can you remember the salesman coming to you and he said, man, listen here, this vehicle is designed for you. <laughs> the color suits you. I could see you sitting in this car, driving down the, down the street. Guy sold me a car one time. And he said, this car will go from zero to 60 miles in two seconds. And I thought, yes. Now, if you know anything about the Bahamas, where in the world am I going to go? <laughs> but my point, my point is, if, <laughs> if we pitch it right... If we pitch it right, people will buy the product because of the sales pitch. <laughs> Would you like to know Jesus? No. Okay. <laughs> well, you better come and say, because you're going to go to hell and you're going to. No. Ronald Reagan. Um, it's on the TV says, and I'm an atheist, and I'm not afraid of burning in hell. So you can't scare people into Christianity. So people have to look at an example. They have to see a shining example. They have to see something that they want. And guess where they're going to find it? Not in the Bible. Because most, most folks are afraid of the Bible. Because it has these and thous and wherefores and therefores, and they're afraid of words they don't understand, like Philip. So they don't want anything to do with the Bible. But if they can see an example, if somebody can say, look, my friend, this thing has changed my life. Look at me. Once upon a time, I used to be right where you are, but bless the name of the Lord. Look what God has done for me. Perhaps. If they sense a little passion, we can draw, draw, draw them in. Perhaps if our passion, the Bible says we ought to strengthen those things which remain. And we ought to stir up the gifts. That's what we're going to do in the next couple of days. Try to stir that gift up. The Bible also says a wonderful thing. It says that, behold, you have not chosen me. 
but I have chosen you. I mean, I heard that Prince William was in Canada the other day. He was in Bahamas the other day. And in the rain, here's a wonderful picture, and this was just a couple of weeks ago. Or was it last week? Anyway, last week, the prince was there. It rained all day, and I was happy. Did I say that? Yeah, I was happy. And so we have these police officers who are dressed in their regalia, and they're standing on every corner, erect, in places that we don't see policemen. And then I noticed that certain roads were paved because the prince was coming. And then something strange happened. The rain came. All these police officers standing all over the place, dressed in their full regalia, drenched in the rain because the prince was coming. And guess what? They did not move. They did not move. They could not move because they didn't have orders. And I thought about that. I said, what about the kingdom of God? What if Jesus is passing by? This is going to be Easter season. He's, he's going to be uh, uh, celebrated in Palm Sunday. What, is, what, if he, what if he comes to town? Then what is it going to be like for us? Will he be welcome in our homes, in our, in our places of work? What about the church? Hmm. I wonder which church is he going to go to. Is he going to come to Cloverdale? Or he's going to say, Clover who? <laughs> We've got to understand that the church is not the name that's on the door up there. This is the church. And the question is, what is the shape of this church? Boy, we like to point fingers at the pastor and the pastor's wife and Sister Jane in the back there and Sister Mary Wow, these people. Yeah, but what about this church? Let's let's just park right there for a minute. What about this church? What is the shape of this church? If the world depended on this church, what would be the shape of the world? The Bible says you are the salt of the earth, not Cloverdale. You as an individual, me as an individual, I am the church. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. Do you get it? I, me, 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 you are the light of the world. What would the world be like if you weren't present? Or will they say, oh, he lived and then he died? Those are the worst funerals. And we have to make up words and poetry and sing songs and, because this individual did nothing. They really and truly lived and then died. What have you done for Christ lately? Ask not what your country can do for you. But what can you do for the kingdom? Prayer meeting needs a renovation. Because prayer meeting is nothing more than a basket of requests that we ask for every week And when we don't get what we've asked for, we don't tell anybody we don't get, didn't get an answer to that question. We just move on to the next request. I know you, 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 I've done it. So, I mean, I'm not surprised that you didn't say, yeah, pastor, preach. (laughs) But is that what prayer is? But is it not our connection 
to our supplier of everything? It. Is it not our connection and our lifeblood for existing? It's an important thing to talk about and to think about. And so the question is, can we restore the passion in, in our lives in order to, um, to become what God has called us to be? It's a very, very important question. So we see, we have an, exa a, a, an example in, uh, in Nehemiah. But there are others in Scripture. Isaiah. Isaiah. The Bible says, Isaiah, uh, the Spirit of the Lord came to Isaiah and, the, the, and gave Isaiah some instructions. And Isaiah said, no, 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 Lord, not me. I am a man of unclean lips. Not, 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 not me. And then something happened. The Spirit of the Lord uh, 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 touched his lips with a hot coal. That is significant. Maybe our passion needs a hot, cold touch. Maybe we need a fresh baptism in the Holy Spirit again. Because what's going on in this church is just not good enough. It's just, the Bible says, look, I'd rather you be hot or cold. But what you're doing right now, I don't want that. I will spew you out. So maybe we need a, a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit to rekindle what is there already. Does that make sense to you? I know I need the fresh encounter of the Holy Spirit on an ongoing basis. I can't do what I do in and of myself. It's just not good enough. It is never good enough. There is always more that God is requiring. There's always more that he wants us to do. There's always more he's pushing us to do. And I came to say to Cloverdale, look, you've done a good job. You've done, I mean, you've done wonderful. But listen, it's not good enough. There's a song that we sing uh, in the Bahamas. I don't know if you sing it. You know it. It says, Zion is calling me to a higher place of, play, of praise. To stand upon, upon the mountain and to, what? Glorify his name. And then to tell all the nation, tell all the people that Jesus Christ reigns. Wow. Zion is calling us to a higher place of praise. This does not condemn your work. This does not condemn what you've done before. This does not condemn all of the efforts that you've made before. Notwithstanding that, until we get to the point where we are willing and able to give our lives for this cause, Zion is still calling us to a higher place of praise. Samuel, a mere boy. Hmm. I mean, Samuel, I mean, a little boy. What are you calling a little boy for? The message is that God doesn't care how old you are. He doesn't care where you've been, what you've done, and all, all, that, all that stuff, all that churchy stuff that we do. Because if people don't look like us, don't sound like us, don't speak the same language, we, we don't want anything to do with them. I mean, if, they, if they come in here and they, 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 they smell to high heaven, there's an attitude. Come on, man. So God speaks to Samuel. 
Samuel is a little, a little child. And he said, you know, you know, speak, Lord, your servant, hear it. Because the Spirit of the Lord, hear this, the Spirit of the Lord is always speaking. Now, if you're taking notes, take it just as I say it, just as I said it. The Spirit of the Lord is always speaking. There is never a time that the Lord does not speak. Now, there are many times when we don't hear him. There are many times we don't want to hear him. Because it's uncomfortable. It's like Samuel. He's calling you in the middle of the night to do some stuff. And you can't. Gideon, remember him? Gideon was cowering, uh, you know, in the back, hiding someplace away from the enemy because the enemy comes to steal their corn. And Gideon is saying, you know, well, I'm just going to do it. The Spirit of the Lord saying, no, 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 no. I'm calling you, mighty man of valor. <laughs> That's right. And he said, the angel said, no, 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 no. You're the mighty man of valor. He said, me? Really? He said, well, if I'm so mighty, then why am I sitting in the back here and we have all of this is these issues going on in our lives? Here's the point I really want to get to tonight. That man called Gideon was able, once he tapped into the call, remember that? Yeah. Once he tapped into the call, he became what was called. He didn't call himself because he didn't have the wherewithal, he didn't have the imagination, he didn't have the strength, he didn't have the resources, didn't have the ability to be a mighty man of Allah. But because he was called by the Spirit of God, he actually rose to the occasion. And he did some mighty works for the Lord. But there's one piece of, 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 of that story I want to tell you, and that is this. And I will end with this tonight, because I think I get some eyes at my time. It's, how much time do I have? You good? Do you know what you just said to me? Okay. All right. Okay. So here's what. Here's what. Here's what. <clears throat> if you're writing notes, write this. The one thing the enemy does not want the one thing the enemy does not want is an activated church. That's for sure. The one thing he does not want is an activated church. One can chase and two, 10,000. How many of us in here tonight? What if all of us were activated by the power of God? Let me put it another way, a, a less spiritual way for you. What if all of us in here tonight were passionate about the things of God? Here's your scriptural reference and your scriptural belief. See, because if you can get upset and get upset with the description, not with me. God uh, helped Gideon with the situation. There was a, a situation that he had to go and they had to face the enemy. Gideon amassed as many men as he could. Brought them and said, okay, we're going to go fight. God said, no, you won't. You have too many. Get rid of half of them, send them home. 
So Gideon put out the question, those of you who are homesick would like to go be with your wives and so on, you're free to leave. No, 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 no you know, there's nothing. You, you get paid for the week. Uh, you, you know, your rank isn't, you, you just have the week off. And several of them left. God says to him, your army is still too big. Now here's what I want you to do. Gather the people, take them by the brook, and ask them to drink water. Now this is very interesting, the revelation on this. That those who would lap the water, i.e. would take their hands, go to the water like this, and then drink it like a dog, those are the ones you want. And lo and behold, there are two types of people. Those who lap the water, and then those who took the time to bend down to the water and put their heads in the water. Here's a revelation. God said the 300 of them, from 3,000 to 300, the 300 of them that lap the water, those are the ones I want. In other words, give me 300 passionate people, and I'll conquer the, I'll conquer the enemy. Those who are going to take their time and they're going to bend down and they're nice and cute, send them home. What do we have here? Are we going to have a group of passionate Christians chosen by God to bring terror to the enemy's territory? And the beautiful part about this is you don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to have a degree in theology. You don't have to wear a white gown. You don't have to pray on the corner. You don't have to preach. All you have to do is be obedient to God right where you are. And do it without fail. Because a command from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is the greatest command you'll ever have in your life. This job that I'm doing right here, there's no job in the world that's more important than this. And I'm passionate about it. Yep. Enough to come to Vancouver <laughs> with the enemy behind me, all of Air Canada against me, United Airlines against me, Delta against me. What's the other one? Alaska, all of them. There's a reward. Listen. You have not chosen him, but he has chosen you. Stand up for me, please. No, no, just the worship leader. I don't know you. Bonnie. Bonnie. There are times when you wonder why you're doing this. Because it's a thankless job. Other people in church, they don't have to rehearse. They don't have to practice. They don't have to be out there by themselves and wondering whether you did a good job or not. And many times, nobody even says anything to you about it. I came from the Bahamas with an anointing from the Holy Spirit to tell you that God has seen your sacrifice and he has set you aside. Your reward is certain. Beyond that, because of your passion, God is going to attach others to you so that you will be able to produce after your own kind. Wow. 
You can't do it by yourself because you tried and failed. But God can. And guess what? Since he commissioned you, it's on him and not on you. Your job is to continue to be passionate with an open heart, with an open spirit to receive what the Lord has called you to do. And he will bless you indeed. Come on, give the Lord a praise in the house. Come on, man. Put your hands together and give the Lord a praise. Listen, I guarantee you that there is an anointing in this house like no other. I'll say one more thing and I'll, then, then I will sit down because the Lord has given me a word for Pastor Randy. I'm not going to give it to you right now, but I, you know, we, we're going to do this. And perhaps this is for the church. The pandemic came and we cursed it as a church. Because what it did was it ruined what we had before. Sometimes in your own life there's trouble, there are issues, and there are difficulties and seasons that you have to go through in your own life that you'd rather not even conceive. And we curse the day. But if you understand the master who you serve, he thrives in a stone. And I came to tell you, all you've got to do is to be faithful to God. And he will turn it around. But beware. Do not expect and do not thrive and do not uh, uh, crave the old days. They will not return. That's why God sent trouble. That's why God sent the pandemic. The old days are gone. They're finished with. Thank the Lord for them. Bless the name of the Lord. They're gone. This is today is now. This is now. And that's why the emphasis is shifting from church growth to church health. And the health is the health of the church, i.e. you, i.e. me. And that's why in this season, it's over. It's, it, just it just shifted that you and I have to become better stewards of what God has given to us. Over the next couple of days, I'm, 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 my job is to try to help you to harness what it is you have. And I can tell you tonight that you have more than you think you have. And I'll leave it at this. See, I like to go to Scripture. God gave Moses a job. Read the book of Exodus. Moses gave God 11 reasons why it should not be him. I stammer. God said, really? It's not news to me. I made your lips, remember? And because you stammer, look behind you. There's Aaron. That's why I made Aaron. Here's what. Whatever God has called you for, there's somebody behind you that he created to facilitate it. I don't care how small it is. I don't care how big it is. But we've just got to get to the position where we're willing to step out and become more passionate about what God says. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we give you thanks and praise tonight for this people and for the opportunity to plant this seed tonight. And Father, you've already started a great work here. 
And these dear people of yours, you knew from the very foundation of the earth that this moment would come. And I pray now that the eyes of their understanding will be open in the name of Jesus. And I come against the spirit of the enemy that's designed to frustrate the will of God in their lives. And I set them free from the bondage of self-pity. I set them free from the bondage of depression and contentment. We dig up the, the fallow ground in the name of Jesus. And as an eagle stirs the nest, we make the nest uncomfortable in the name of Jesus. And we call for us gifts. We call for us visions and dreams out of each of your people tonight in the name of Jesus. And even as they go home and lie on their beds tonight, they will see things they've never seen before. And they'll be inclined and pushed to do things like Nehemiah that, they've, that he's never dreamt of doing before. And I call for good fruit in the name of Jesus. Come on, stand to your feet and give the Lord a praise. Come on, make some noise in the house of God. Thank God for doing what he's doing. Not in this building, but in your life, because he knows your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.